0: You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. So glad you're here. That's great. We've got uh, we've got the day together. Did you know that? Well, I mean, if you'd like to spend the day, but Louise, we've got a couple of hours this morning. We're going to open God's Word at the moment and, and have a little bit of a a look at what he's what he's placed on my heart. We've got. Um, as uh, Goodwin was saying, the, the members meeting a little bit later on, which is just further time for interaction and, and fellowship. And I don't know if you were able to join us last Sunday, but it was a, it was a wonderful Sunday, a time of coming together and, and really seeking a breakthrough, a breakthrough the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness, seeking a breakthrough from God into many different areas of, of life that you know, I, I know that many of you were burdened by. And just by the way, we, if you weren't here last week, or even if you were um this is all in the context of, of two weeks of prayer. So we had a first week of prayer, uh 166 hours, Sam. Um is that, is that right? 168 hours, three hundred and thirty six. Yeah, three hundred and thirty six over the over the fortnight. And and who who knows what else. But anyway, all in the context of prayer. We've just been praying twenty four seven Really anticipating that God would do some wonderful things, and then last week we had the opportunity in both the morning service and the evening service to write down some prayers, put it in an envelope, and uh, bring bring it up here. We had this this little chest. You put it in the chest on Sunday night. We closed the chest. We secured it with a cable tie, and um and which is more like a seal. And I can I just want you to know your your prayers are your prayers are safe. Um and um. And if you would like to, if you've sort of, as you've been going through another week of prayer, you sort of think, "Oh, you know what? There is something else I would have liked to write." We've we've got those envelopes and um, little pads and pens there, and and please feel free to come and add to add to that chest of of prayers. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But um, if you haven't been here at Eltham Baptist for the last two three years, you could be forgiven for being a little bit confused as to what series we are actually in at the moment and I thought I would just take a moment to try and, to try and bring you up to speed. So we were, we were working through Acts, a cracking pace really, um, over a couple of years and we got to a, probably around chapter 17 and uh, by that time we had Paul and Barnabas up in the church in Antioch. And, well, that kind of led us to consider the type of missional church that Antioch was and what is it that, that makes a church a of, of vibrant missional reality in the context of which it is. So we paused there um, over, over January one year, I forget what year that was, and then the next year we, we kind of had a look at perhaps the most powerful allegory of what does it mean to be a church and that of course is found in John 15, The Vine and the Branches. Um, that was the same year that uh, the artisans in the church who did a wonderful spirit-filled job, um, did this, this great work, the, the vine and the grapes. And, and these three words seem to just capture a little bit of what it was that we were, we were understanding God was saying to us through that allegory. And, and that is quite simply, it is all about his glory. So that's why at the front of the church we have that sign, Soli Deo Gloria, all glory to God alone. And we want to continually exalt Jesus Christ because this is his church and he is Lord over it. Now we want to exalt him, we want him to be glorified as was his John 17 prayer. And God gets glory when we're being the very best disciples we can possibly be, fruit bearing disciples. So it is the fruit of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ that inevitably ultimately brings glory to God. Now we could work hard at trying to produce that fruit. We could exert ourselves and bring on the fruit. But you know what? It, there's such straining's not good for you in so many different ways. And fruit really is the inevitable result of abiding. So we figured that abiding seems to be one of the really critical elements in this whole pursuit of discipleship to be the very best disciples we could be so that we can be the sort of church that brings glory to God. Does that all make sense? That all came out of Acts chapter 17. So anyway, we decided, well, let's just, let's just dwell on this abide, let's, let's abide in the word abide, let's remain and abide for a little while and just explore that somewhat. We came up with an acrostic, and when I say we, I'm really talking about B, but you share in it because you come and listen week after week. The A was for all together. See, we're doing it all together. A was for just the, the power of God's people coming together and doing life together. It is really a sad thing to do the Christian walk alone. And I, I grieve over those who have various circumstances circumstances feel that they need to because God has given us this wonderful gift called the body of Christ and so a is for doing it all together b is for being still in the presence of God it's just such a a frenetic pace of life which we are caught up in isn't it it is go 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 most of the time you know we sort of slide into Sunday morning or Sunday evening church you know um, really just harried and harassed and being needed to be reminded that Jesus is our shepherd he cares for us come under his care let him lead us by by green pastures and still waters and and just minister to our souls so B is for be still I and that's where we kind of are at the moment is imitate Christ D is for being devoted to one another E is envoys of grace we'll get to that eventually I'm hoping by the end of the year so I imitate Christ. We looked at the nature of Christ. We looked at his hy- the hypostatic union, the fact that he is both God and man simultaneously and still is. We looked at that. We looked at um, uh, the way in which he began his public ministry and we wanted to be ministers like Jesus Christ. And I guess the last couple of weeks, in the mix of that, we're also imitating him in his prayer life. Jesus gave us an example of what it means to, to pray um, in Luke 5.16 and Mark 1.35, we find that, that Jesus was an early riser. Early in the morning, he would go and pray. It's almost that, that, that old uh, illustration of uh, tuning the guitar before you play it. Early in the morning, he would get tuned, attuned to his Father, and he would pray early in the morning. So here's an example of prayer in that. Here's an example of prayer in crisis, Luke 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane. There, in his moment of greatest need, what does he do? He falls to his knees, gathers others around him, and he prays. He's an example of praying in times of crisis. He's an example of, when needed, praying at length. All night he prayed before he chose his disciples. We know in Luke chapter 6 and John 17 tells us that Jesus seemed to have this lovely conversational style of prayer, John seventeen thirteen, where he just informs, in, during his high priestly prayer, he enjo- informs the disciples that he is praying for their benefit. And, and that it's not just for them. And he has this lovely conversational flow of prayer that, that seems, to, seems to be that ceaseless type of prayer that Paul goes on to talk about. So, so in imitating Jesus in any area, ministry and so forth, we do want to imitate his prayer life. He had an amazing prayer life. And the remarkable thing is, this is Jesus! You know, if, if there was a trick question in Sunday school, who doesn't need to pray? You might stumble upon you might think ah oh, jesus is always the answer jesus no he did he did need to pray and so we are to imitate him in that if jesus needed to pray guess what you and i probably do too <laughs> and so we imitate christ in in this also and so we're just having a look at the the reality the nature of prayer we started a couple of weeks ago when i got back from greece um, we had a look at a couple of aspects of there so we've got the the example of Jesus in prayer. Um, But there's also the possibility of prayer. Now that comes from John 15 as well. Here in John 15 we find that prayer actually is is a possible thing in a way that it was never possible in the Old Testament. It can be a reality for you and I as it never was for the saints of old. It's a possibility because we have this new, beautiful, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ himself where um, verse 4, John chapter 15 verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Here Here is Christ himself through his spirit abiding in us, remaining in us. The living Christ lives within us. If we never know quite what to say in prayer, Jesus, what should I say right now? He's right there. He's right there within you. And he leads us and guides us in prayer. It's not only a new intimacy and a new relationship, but a, but a new understanding. His words will remain in us as we remain in him. The very words of Jesus will remain in us. They'll be right there. We have a new understanding of, of all of the things of God. In fact, he, he tells us, I, no longer, I, don't, you know, I now call you friends because you now know the Father's business. We have this new understanding, this new relationship. And then... We are given a name, His name, a new authority. You may ask whatever you wish in my name, verse 16, and it will be done for you. We have this new relationship, new understanding, a new authority which just makes prayer a a whole new reality like it never was before. The Spirit of God dwelling within us. Very exciting. So prayer is actually a possibility. We've got the possibility of prayer. We've got the, actually, just so I can, I can help, can I see the slide up there as well? Jared, thanks for that, mate. There it is. We've got the possibility of prayer. We've got the example of prayer by Jesus. We've got the theology of prayer. I shared a couple of weeks ago um, three, three stories. Firstly, about the, the sleepy neighbour. Remember the sleepy neighbour? Sometimes it's really known as the persistent widow. Uh, no, that one's not. That's sorry, Luke 18. Luke 11. You've got the neighbour who's got visitors coming. Needs three loaves of bread, goes, the neighbor's asleep, don't bother me. You know, you know that story. What is all that about? Well, persistence in prayer. Here, Jesus is giving us a bit of a theology on prayer here. Be persistent. Keep, keep annoying heaven with your prayers. Keep knocking. And, and, and maybe that's a good word for, for somebody today who came last Sunday and expected the breakthrough in a particular timing. Maybe you expected it last Sunday. Maybe you expected more of God. Maybe you really thought that God was going to act within that 24-hour period. Maybe. I don't know. But if for some reason your timing was off, that aspect of your prayer was not actually aligned with God's timing, remembering that He always knows better, then take heart. The theology of prayer is Jesus unravels it for us Tells us that persistence in prayer has a vital role, a vital role to play. Be persistent, be audacious, ask for really, really big, crazy things and keep asking. Just like that neighbor knocking on the door for bread late at night. Crazy! I mean, who, who would have a neighbor like that? You would sell up the next day, wouldn't you? And you would move. Nobody wants neighbors like that. And yet, Jesus says, be like that neighbor. Be like him. Be audacious. Be crazy. Annoy heaven. Persist. Go on, keep doing it. Why? Luke 18. There we've got the persistent widow and the unfair judge. And we're told that persistence is equated with faith. In other words, your, your persistence and your audaciousness in prayer is an opportunity to express your faith in God and what aspect of God. Then we come back to Luke 11 and we've got the story of the, of the evil dad. You know, the son asks for, asks for fish or an egg and instead he gets a scorpion or a snake about the worst thing possible. What dad would do that? Exactly, Jesus says. Even though you dads are kind of evil, you even know not to do that, don't you? Well, how much more your father in heaven knows exactly what to give you. He gives you good things and the best thing that you could possibly have is his Holy Spirit. Wow. And so there we have a reminder of the goodness of the character of God. So going back to what, what is this deal about persistence and audaciousness, asking big things and asking persistently? What, what's all that about? Here's the theology of prayer. Do that because it's an opportunity to express your faith in the goodness of God. That's it. So keep going, keep knocking, keep annoying heaven. You might feel like my prayer is still in the envelope there. It hasn't yet ascended. Not true. We'll get to that in just a moment the timing for God to deliver the answer might be just a little bit off, but you keep persisting because you are demonstrating a beautiful faith at that moment and it's bringing glory to God. So keep going, keep going, keep going. So that's the theology of prayer. We've got the, the possibility of prayer found in John 15, the example of prayer in Jesus, theology of prayer right there, those three stories and we've got the model of prayer. Now, Bron, yesterday, well, sorry, last week, um, led us through Breakthrough Sunday and basically was working through the, the Lord's Prayer, just step by step. I don't know if you kind of, kind of picked that up. But we've got this wonderful reminder, a model prayer by Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, there is, there is a beautiful intimacy to address God as Father. Hallowed be your name. There is a beautiful reverence. Intimacy and reverence, all caught up in that first line there. We are to come boldly before the throne of God because Jesus has paved the way. We have the possibility of of marching right up to the throne and saying, Dad, that's it. You can. You have that privilege. But there is also a reverence to the name of God. And if I had to give just one reason why do we not blaspheme? Why do we not use the Lord's name in vain? It's because this is just too precious to. It is the name above all names. And when we use, use his name in a way that doesn't honour him, we make light of the most wonderful name there ever has been. So the name of God is to be revered. So there we have intimacy and reverence Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's there's the prayer of breakthrough and this is where I want to launch from today. But we're essentially saying your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, It's like in heaven there is this decree, this decision that's been made. This is my will that my kingdom will come. And so our prayer is simply... You bring on the kingdom. Let the kingdom come. And, and and perhaps, in one way or another, that's exactly what you have written in all of those envelopes. Oh, I just want... I don't know what I want. I want what you want. What do you want, God? Just let your kingdom come because I don't like this kingdom anymore. <laughs> because whatever it is... Issue you have whatever aspect of it is whatever ain't quite right in this world and you're 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 quite accurate in pointing that out whatever ain't quite right believe me it is right in heaven and so we're really just saying that thing that you decreed god as it pertains to my situation or the situation of somebody else which is just really really lousy let it be let it be, would you? Please, please, please. And so that's really what we're praying when we we come to that. And we acknowledge God as our provider. Give us this day our daily bread. We look to any barriers that there might be in our relationship with God and we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That was a bit of a theme last Sunday night. Um, just, just noting that, you know... If, in all other things we are to imitate God but in this one thing God imitates us. He will forgive us in the same way that we have forgiven others. That can be a barrier, got to deal with that one. But also just confession, repentance, that, that change of mind which says, you know what Lord I've been holding out on you but now I surrender it all. Change of mind, it's, it's all yours. There are your important aspects to that as well. Lead us not into temptation or a time of testing or a trial that is too much. Deliver us from evil. Um, There's the model prayer. But let me take you um, this morning behind the scenes to this aspect of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we've written out the prayer, we will put it in the envelope, we will put it in the chest and now you could be forgiven for thinking (laughs) what happens to it now? Like, like, what what happens in the spiritual realm with the prayers? We know they're written on the piece of paper and they're written on the envelope and they're still sitting there, but, but the real prayer, the, the prayer of our heart, the one that was formulated in our mind, the, the one that we offered up, that has already risen, but we're talking about a spiritual thing here, aren't we? A spiritual dynamic. So it it rose out of the envelope or really out of our heart and our mind and it rose to the heavens, but... What then? It's a little bit like that moment at the airport. You could choose your, choose your airport, but you could be at Tullamarine. And you've got your bag, and you're hoping that that is going to go to the same place that you're going, because it has some things in it that are going to make you a far more pleasant tourist. And, uh, and so you, you deliver it to the airline that you're entrusting yourself and your bag, and, and you say, listen, I'm off, to, I'm off to London, let's say, for instance, I really would like my bag to go with me, and so they say Psh, we get that. We get people like that all the time asking the same thing. So bring it here. Let's put a tag on that. Let's say that tag says London, London, London. All says London. Are you probably confident that we can just get to London? It'll be okay over there because we all grew up on a diet of postman Pat and we know except for cats who will stop at nothing to make sure that everything gets where it's supposed to be. So we're pretty confident that if we can just meet our suitcase in London, all will be well with the world. Well, that, that tag on it, on the bag, is the, is the thing which is going to get zapped by multiple scanners and, and get it to where it's supposed to go. I, I had a friend who used to work with one of the airlines at, at Melbourne and I don't know why, it's probably different nowadays, security and so forth, but way back then, they were allowed to do tours for groups. And on Night Shift one, one night, he was able to give me a tour, the, the behind-the-scenes look at, at, a, at a busy airport. It was fantastic. It was, uh, in the tour group, there was just him and me on one of those little buggies. And it was fun just, just going around to all of the bits. And he, and he gave me the, there was a kind of a, map, a thing mapped out for when they were taking people on tours, but you, you saw all these huge conveyor belts coming. It looked like this maze of conveyor belts and so forth. And, and then scanners, which are reading the little tickets and kind of taking them this way or taking them that. There's all the cars and, and carts that are lined out to take them to the aeroplanes. We even shot out to one of the aeroplanes to, to look at how they loaded it up and that sort of thing. I'll never forget walking under a Boeing 747 and just looking at the... How big it was. It was incredible. And then you you think about the entire process of I don't know how many passengers a day but getting all of those passengers and all that luggage to the right place. All that could go wrong. But by and large, it usually works, which is very very exciting when you when you arrive in London. But there is that moment of nervousness, isn't it, as you watch the bag go off and you entrust it. Because you don't know the behind the scenes aspects of how all this works. And as it goes off, you hope that in another country, in another city, in another airport, at another belt, you will see that bag come out again. And it does. Every time it does, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Wow. Well, what's the behind the scenes? How does this work with our prayers? We tag our prayers and we say, this prayer has to go to God. Nobody else can help me. Nobody else can answer this. This prayer tagged has to go to the throne of God. How does it work? Let's have a look. Let's have a look firstly, behind the the scenes. Firstly, let's note Romans 8, 26, 27. When you take your bag to the airport, you actually put it in the hands of somebody else, don't you, who is actually going to help you. Let's have a look at Romans 8, 26, 27 there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, we do not know always what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us through a wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God okay so we we get this sense in which the holy spirit is is helping us in our prayer life he's receiving our prayers there it is and we want it tagged and we want this to go to the right place and and the thing is, we're not in entirely sure, always, even what to pack. So the Holy Spirit does one better than the the uh, bag collector at the airport, where you check in. He actually comes and helps you pack. He actually, as you're sort of panicking and running around the bedroom and saying, "Oh, how many socks do I need?" The Holy Spirit's there. You just need five. You go on five days, five pairs of socks. You know, he's just kind of there, helping you know what to actually put into the package. We don't always know what to say in prayer. And sometimes it's, all we can do is to just groan and say, I don't know, Lord, what to even say. Um, many, many years ago, permission to use this illustration, it's a jade illustration. Many years ago, we were in the Philippines, we went to a, um, a large mall where there was an ice skating ring in the middle and whenever you're in a hot country and there's something cold, it's always, you know, quite a novelty, isn't it? And, and so this was Jade's first ever ice skating experience, had the, had the skates on. And she had been, she'd been on those skates flying around by herself like a Russian ballerina for probably 30 seconds. And, um, and then bang, she hit the ice and was devastated. She'd hit her knee and there was blood. There was blood on the knee and it was all over you know, life as we know it and she was, she was in tears and so forth. Doesn't remember, doesn't remember this but I certainly remember picking her up and then trying to as best as I could as a skating dad with a girl kind of make my way nervously back to the bench <laughs> without coming asunder myself. And I remember sitting on the bench and I think why it is etched in my memory is just how long it took to console her. Her world had come undone for that moment. And you know, I think that that can be the case for many of us. There can be those situations in life where our world just comes completely undone. And our prayers don't make a whole lot of sense. We don't know entirely how to articulate our concerns. We don't know everything to say. We don't know quite what the solution even is. All we can do is to groan. Now here we read that the Holy Spirit is groaning. Uh, John, John Piper has the view that this is not the Holy Spirit groaning to God the Father with his groans, the groans of the Holy Spirit to the heavenly father because because groans um, groans are a result of a fallen state where communication is is no longer pure but that but that doesn 't exist within the Trinity. the Trinity is not fallen, and so communication between the Spirit of God and God the Father is perfect and seamless and beautiful, so these are not groans from the Holy Spirit so much, but the Holy Spirit, perhaps repeating our groans as we groan. The Holy Spirit, in a in an um, in, uh, with, with great empathy, is picking up the, our groan and actually repeating it to God. Perhaps a a little bit like it happens with a you know a father and a child that the child is ah, oh, and the parent is. Ah, yeah. child says, oh. The parent is, ah. A little bit more reassuring. But you know, that's not the time for reason. That's not the time to say, it's actually going to be okay. This is a small cut and the body has incredible healing powers. What is going to happen at the moment is a coagulation of the blood, which is going to... This is not the time for reason. This is just the time for, oh. Ah, 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 ah. I think that's what's going on here. We're in a crisis and we're... ah, And the Holy Spirit is... ah. And, And the Father heart of God, like a scan, which is picking up all of the groans of all of the hearts of all of his children, picks that up as the Holy Spirit administers it. And he says, I know that groan. I know what to do with that. That's a beautiful groan. Look how the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter, the one who comes alongside, look how he is bringing that to my throne. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who picks up the prayers of our hearts, yes, even when it is only a groan, but he understands what's going on in your heart and he picks that up and even if what you wrote on your piece of paper or what you're thinking you're going to write on your piece of paper, you kind of feel, I, I haven't quite captured it there. That's Okay. The Holy Spirit's got it. He's got it. He's got you covered. You might think, but oh, I think I'd word it differently. It's all right. The Holy Spirit has got it. You could have just groaned onto the page and then sealed it in the envelope. He'd still have it. He's got it. He's got you covered. He understands the groan of your heart and it's delivered. Okay, now what happens next? How does this all unfold? There was a time in the early church, of utter desperation. Most of the apostles had been killed. Only John was left alive. That was the context into which God inspired him to write the book of Revelation. And there were many groans coming from God's people at that particular time. I, I recall um, back in my, my days in the police force uh, hearing um, a particular code over the radio from time to time. It was called Code 9, and Code 9 was within Victoria police circles. That was, the, that was the code for police in trouble. Whenever you heard that, you dropped everything and you went to assist. And I heard it a couple of times. I remember hearing it one, one dark night in, in winter, and I remember the response to it, one dark night in winter from a lone policewoman um, doing uh, sort of solo security on the steps of parliament. And as, as she came over the radio and said, Code 9, you would not believe the response to that. It was, it was just unit after unit after unit after unit heading that way. I think they were coming from, from Seymour. You know, <laughs> when you hear a Code 9 and when it's, a, when it's, you know everybody just knew whoever was doing Parliament steps was by themselves. When you hear a Code 9 and you hear a female voice and, and you know that that person is alone, you, you head there. Well, there was one occasion... That I recall, maybe there was more, but one occasion that I recall where I was wondering, is this, is this a Code 9 moment? I was with a sergeant in Carlton. It was uh, in the days of what they used to call the Boovery Street drags. It was where thousands of young people would gather and uh, just spill oil on the road and, and do drag racing. And, and uh, anyway, I was stationed at Carlton at the time and we, we rocked up there. We'd got out of the car and, and, uh, to pull over a driver who was doing the wrong thing and about 2,000 people still around us and a meat pie came out from over the crowd. That's kind of harmless, although the dry cleaning bill's not nice. But then a bottle came and then when the bottle shattered at my feet, I kind of thought, this might be. This might be that moment. This might be that moment where we say code nine. I remember looking at the sergeant who had uh, just... I was standing outside of the car, writing up the ticket, and I remember looking at my sergeant, and, and he shut the door behind me and locked it. I was thinking, you're not locking yourself in the car, are you? <laughs> like a little help, please? And then he did the most wonderful thing. I heard him, his last words, I heard him code nine, and then he shut his own door outside, from the outside, locked it, and came around, and he stood by me, arms crossed, and just looked into the crowd to say, who dares? And... Uh, but that code nine had been given, and within, within moments, um, we never heard the response on the radio because we were outside the car. But, but within moments, the crowd just started to peel like the Red Sea, and we just saw the, that beautiful, back in those days, it was all blue lights, not blue and red. But we just saw the blue lights dancing across the roofs of cars as they descended upon us from, from all directions. It was, it was wonderful support to have. But there is that moment where you, you were probably saying, Is now the time for a code nine in my life is this desperate enough is is this that moment and when you come to that point and you just say God I'm in trouble I'm in trouble I really need all of the resources of heaven to come my way right now I need help I need help this is your code nine moment well here is what what happens that's how the church must have felt as John was instructed to write the book of Revelation. And so so God sort of sort of seeing that the church needs to see how this dynamic of prayer works. What is going to be the outcome here? Who wins? All of this is, is given to John to to write. So let's have a look at let's have a look at how this unfolds in, in Revelation. So firstly, a, a door is a door is opened in heaven. Um, and John is able to step through into the heavenly realm. It's almost like he's got that invitation to go back a house there and to have a behind-the-scenes look at, at how prayer works. We've seen that the Holy Spirit picks up our prayers and with groans, he is delivering them. But then what? What What happens when the prayers get to heaven? Well, well this is what John is able to instruct the church in their time of desperation. So the door opens in heaven and, and he walks through and the first thing he sees, very interesting, the first thing he sees is, this massive throne, this massive throne. And here on the, on the throne is someone sitting and, and they have the appearance of jasper and ruby. In other words, the, the God, you know, he's just seeing the reflection of light in the most beautiful way as you do when you see a, a beautiful precious stone. Light reflected in extraordinary fashion and, and that's what he's seeing coming from the very throne of God. As surrounding the throne were 24 other little thrones and these are the elders and some think that that represents you know, one elder from each twi- tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples as well. But there's your 24 thrones, the elders sitting around this other massive throne. Now these elders are dressed in white and they've all got these gold crowns on them which seems to be significant. Um, and we've got a song that talks about you know this this whole revelation scene, and we're gonna we're gonna sing a little bit later actually, but we've got this scene and there's there's flashes of lightning and peals of thunder coming from the throne. It's it's an incredible scene, and then the the elders um, who are there also have in front of them four creatures. You've got one that's a bit like a lion, one that's a bit like an ox, one that's a little bit like a man, and one that's a little bit like an eagle. And they have six wings on them and they, are, they seem to be flying around and, and they've got a song. We'll get to the song in a moment. But they're flying around and on the wings, covered all over the wings is eyes. You know, it feels a bit creepy, doesn't it? But you've got John seeing this vision and he notices this and it's notable, he records it for us. They've got eyes, in fact, not only on top of the wings but underneath the wings as well. In, fact, in other words, they've got absolute sight. They can see everything that's going on and because they can see everything that's going on, the natural response is this praise, this song of praise that comes from them because they see things as they really are. We often say, you know, um, for God to be glorified is to see Him for who He really is. Uh, that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the glory of God. They're seeing the glory of God. They have eyes to see everything as it really is and the most natural response for those who see things as, it re- as they really are is praise. Wow, it's an incredible scene. You got the four living creatures, um, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, the interesting thing here is that that's what heaven is like. Think about it. In our experience, everything that we experience is tainted by sin, right? Everything, no matter how lovely, no matter how how glorious from a human perspective has the taint of sin. It's just not quite right. And that is our everyday experience. and We know it. But in heaven, nothing could be further from the truth. In heaven, and this is what John has just seen, he goes through the door, he walks in and he sees another whole realm that seems at least... Initially, to be oblivious to the world from which he just came. But heaven is not tainted by sin. This is the most marvellous thing about it. That's why the song is Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is holy. He is separate from everything that is tainted by sin. God is, God is other than the fallenness of this world. He is separate from it. And so here we are getting a a sense, a whole sense of his separateness, um, the fact that he transcends this world, his transcendent nature, that that he is, is, is above and apart from everything that is our experience of a tainted world here, that is not God's experience. It just isn't. He is separate, holy, set apart, sacred from all of this. And this is what John is seeing. He transcends our experience. We're seeing his sovereignty. We're seeing his self-sufficiency here. He relies on nothing. He needs nothing. And we're seeing a purity that is like nothing else. The very essence of purity and truth and wholeness and goodness totally untainted in any respect by sin. It's like nothing we have ever seen before but John sees it. In other words, I don't know what image of heaven you have, but, but heaven is not like a control room in Meltdown. It's not like those, those movies where, where the angelic hosts are all at the controls. Oh no, something else is going wrong! And everybody yelling out to the, to the chief controller, you know, what are we going to do? Alright, push that button, push that button. It's not like that. Heaven is, transcends all of that chaos. And John walks into this and he's caught up in it for a moment as well. He can forget the troubles, the chaos, the code nine of the world from which he's just come. And here he is suddenly seeing things exactly as they're supposed to be. As it is in heaven. That's what he's seeing. But then God, who is self-sufficient and can exist by himself and, and to whom that first song is sung, a song that is capturing his constancy, constancy and his immutability, never changing, unchanging, constantly experiencing all as it is supposed to be. He is also interacting with the world, his creation. He has dominion over his creation and all of creation, that which is captured in this picture is now suddenly comes into the frame as well. John notices that around him are these, these elders and so forth. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever, the 24 elders bow down and they worship him and they lay their crowns before his throne. This is how creation responds to God. And here's the second song. That's the first song. The second song is this. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the appropriate response for creation in the presence of God. One day you are going to sing this and I know it because you'll see it when we get to the fifth song. But one day you are going to see what John saw then. You are going to see everything as it is supposed to be and as a part of the created order you are going to be caught up in a song like this as well. This is going to be the most natural response. You might not feel like much of a singer, but you are going to sing like you have never sung before. It's going to be amazing. And this is, this is what John notices about how the created order responds to its creator. And it's, it's, it's amazing. But then almost as if, okay, it's now time to remember the world from which you came. And you're Code 9. Remember back there, everybody was screaming, Code 9, I need help. Now it all comes together. And he looks and he sees that there is this scroll in the right hand of God, or on in the Greek, on the right hand of God. This, this, this magnificent scroll. And there's words on both sides, which is a bit odd because The way they would make parchments in those days is to usually lay it over like this and you would write on one side but it wasn't as easy to write on the other side. But this scroll is so full that there were many, many words on it. This contains the world's destiny. The destiny of the world is contained on this scroll and it's in the right hand of he who sits on the throne. So when we pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done. There it is in the scroll. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer, right? And there it is in the hand of God, the world's destiny as he decrees it. Incredible, huh? But who can open it? Who can put it into effect? Uh, John looks around and he can't see anyone who's worthy to approach that throne and take that scroll and open it. And the scroll to to be opened, um, it's a little bit like uh, uh, the, the Word of God. This is the dynamic Word of God, the powerful Word of God, which in creation, remember when God spoke, let it be, it was done, it was as good as done. Just to speak it is to enact it. Well, now here's the scroll. To open it is to enact it. Once the scroll is opened, it's like the spoken word. Here is the open word. And it is it is brought into effect. But who can do that? Who can bring into effect the will of God? Who can who can make that thing happen? Who can bring that to to pass? And John looks around and, and there's no one. There's no one who is worthy. There's no one who is worthy to approach the throne. There's no one who can take that scroll and open it and bring it into effect. And he starts weeping overcome with emotion and one of the elders often it's angels who speak to him throughout Revelation but on this occasion it's one of the elders he says do not weep see the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed in that, in that one little phrase using and, and introducing for the first time we know about the root of Jesse we don't know about the root of David but in this one little phrase we get the picture here is here is the one who is the fulfillment of all of Israel and of all of the Davidic uh, a reign here is the one who fulfills all of that in one sweeping statement the Lion of Judah the Root of David he's triumphed and then tying it into to John using John the Baptist's words as we as we read in, in John's Gospel chapter 1 verse 29 um, look the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world then I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain here's the Lamb that was slain and of course they're talking About Jesus, and He is worthy, standing in the center before the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. And the Lamb had—if you're wondering where the Holy Spirit is in all of this—the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. Or you could actually read there the sevenfold spirit, and that's actually uh, we're already thinking about the the root of David and the root of Jesse we might already be thinking about Isaiah chapter 11. We go to Isaiah chapter 11, a branch from Jesse, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit and then there's a sevenfold statement of the roles of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of fear. There's the the sevenfold roles of the Holy Spirit so it leaves us without a doubt whatsoever John has already taken us to Isaiah chapter 11 with the, the root of Jesse, the root of David and here's the sevenfold spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit in the middle of it all. We also know that from, from verse 5 in chapter 4. And here is the lamb and he is the one who is, who is worthy to take the scroll, to enact the will of, Christ, uh, of God, everything that he has decreed. And the 24 elders, when they see this, they fall down before him and they've got a harp in one hand. Picture this, you've got the throne of God right in the middle. You've got 24 thrones right around them, all of the elders. You've got the lamb who is worthy. He has approached the throne and he has taken the scroll. And as we get to chapter 6, we see him taking off the seals and every time he takes off a seal... The decree or the will of God is enacted and slowly God brings about the fulfilment of his will as it is in heaven, so it is on earth. And so here is Jesus. He's got the scroll. He takes off the seals and as he takes it and this scroll is about to be enacted, the elders with a harp in one hand and a bowl of incense in the other, they fall before him right right there in the centre. You've got seven lamps there as well, representing the, the Holy Spirit. But there, the, the elders, they fall on their knees. They've got a harp in one hand, which is going to help them with their, with their song. In the other hand, they've got this golden bowl of incense. What is that? Verse 8 tells us, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. There's your prayer. Where did it go? What happened to it? What's the behind the scenes look? Where is your prayer right now? It is rising as incense from a golden bowl before the very throne of God. Where? Praise be to God. His son, the lamb that was slain, was worthy to take and open the scroll and enact the will of God. So all of your prayers even that part which you didn't even know how to express or that part which isn't quite rightly aligned, God will take that prayer and He will perfect it for you. He will bring it into alignment. He will answer it in a way that you have never imagined. And it's all there on the scroll. His will, His decree, the destiny of the world waiting to be enacted by Jesus Christ. And there... As the Lamb of God who is worthy holds that scroll, the world's destiny, the decree of God, which is being enacted even as we speak right now. Your prayers are like incense rising before the throne. They're right there, right in the heavenlies, amidst that amazing scene. There they are rising before the very throne of God, seen by the Father, seen by the Holy Spirit, seen by the Lamb that was slain, who is now enacting the will of God. There's your prayers. There's your prayers rising as incense. And so there's a third song. And this song is in praise that the scroll has been enacted. And the third song is, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. If you ever had a moment where you're thinking to yourself how does all this work? Like what is this all about? What is God doing? Well this starts by by saying, what is God doing? He is making a kingdom and priests to serve his God. And they're going to reign on the earth forever. That's what he's doing. He's bringing, he's, he's purchasing for himself a kingdom of priests to reign on the earth. That's what he's doing. What's the scope of that? Well, this is going to include members of every tribe and language and people and nation. and And that's why mission and global mission is not some sort of adjunct or branch function from the local church it's the core business of the church to ensure that every tribe and every nation is hearing this gospel of good news because they are to be included in this picture it is the core business of every local church so this kingdom of priests is being raised up and they're going to come from every tribe and language and and people and nation on earth but how is that going to happen? well Because the one who is worthy to take the scroll has provided an atoning sacrifice. That's the atoning work of Christ. You could do this. You are worthy because you were slain, and with your blood, you purchased these people for God. They have been bought with a price, a costly price. But that's what God is up to. What's He doing? He's getting a kingdom of priests together. Where from? All over the world. How's He doing that? He's purchased them by the shedding of his blood. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. The elders deem him to be worthy. They say, well, you're worthy of this. Why is he worthy? What makes Jesus so worthy? The fact that he has shed his blood for you and I. That's what makes him worthy. He is worthy because he was slain. That's what makes him worthy. It's why I believe in John chapter 20, he is so accommodating. When he appears, his resurrection appearances, he appears to the disciples. Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Thomas wasn't there. Remember that, don't you? And so he, again, very, very accommodating. He appears once more when Thomas is there. And he says, again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. He actually invites him to touch the wounds. Put your finger here. Here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. What was Jesus saying? Basically, saying, here, take your hand. I'm worthy. Here, give me your other hand. Touch this. I'm worthy. Believe me. Stop doubting. How do we know he's worthy? That picture. That picture. As the Father sent me. See? Jesus is quite simply saying, I can do this. I'm the only one who can do this. I'm worthy. And so come the fourth and the fifth song. The fourth song, and we're actually going to sing this in a moment. and Maybe the band would like to, to come up and join me because we'll go straight into this in just a sec. The fourth song is, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Not only is God the Father worthy now, but Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. We're singing a song now about His worthiness. Because He's worthy. We know it. And then if you're wondering, where am I in this picture? Because... Because that's 10,000 times 10,000. We're getting in the millions here. That's cool. But am I there yet? Am I there yet? Well, you're, you're, you're in this picture. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's got you covered. And on the sea and all that is in them, saying, everything in the created order now is singing this song. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of our praise because He was slain, because He atoned for our sin. He is worthy to enact the world's destiny from God's perspective. He is worthy to receive all of your prayers And he is worthy to answer them in ways that you could never have imagined. But believe you me, it will be above and beyond any expectation that you possibly have. He is worthy to advance his kingdom for his kingdom to come. And he is worthy to answer the prayer that it will be done on earth exactly as it has been decreed in heaven. That's what's happening behind the scenes. Praise God. Would you like to stand? You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.